welcome Nexus Church family online to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us, go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another message in our series in the book of Mark. In this long series, we've examined the life of Jesus and some of the things he taught and applied it to our personal life. Now, this week, we come upon the final moments of the life of Jesus on earth, and we will examine a fairly gruesome moment in the life of Jesus. And though we may never experience quite anything like what Jesus experienced on the cross, we too, as we will find in the writing of Jesus in the book of Romans as well, that we will experience difficulties. We will experience pain and sorrow and, and many things that represent a following of Jesus. However, we will also see that because of Jesus stepping into our place, we have some amazing promises that God gives us through his word. And, and so my hope for you today is though we look at this and examine some fairly sad things, some horrific things, I hope that you will find some kind of joy knowing that we can experience victory here on earth. No matter what you're going through, what pains you are experiencing today, you can find victory. And we will see that as we go through and come to the final moments in our study in the book of Mark. So let's begin by reading this wonderful, crazy passage. We begin in Mark chapter 15, verse 16. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on him. They led him to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So here we have Jesus just moments from Pilate trying to, to free him. In all reality, he was kept trying to find a way to get Jesus to be freed from this, this posse of this horde of people that were trying to kill Jesus. He was like, what, what wrong has he done? He's an innocent man. You have no proof of him doing anything wrong. But yet... This, this mob 
that had been convinced by the religious elite to crucify him finally won the day. And, and Pilate, though he knew Jesus was innocent, caved to the pressure. He didn't want to lose his authority as a Roman official. So he gave Jesus up. And so his officials mocked him, made fun of him after, he'd already, after Jesus had already experienced that with the religious elite and how they persecuted him. Now the religious handed him over. And now the Romans did the same exact thing, beat him, mocked him, made fun of him. And he was so badly beaten that we read in this passage, just as we begin this horrific scene, that Jesus could not even carry his own cross. That was part of the torture that they put him under, was that they had to carry this 100-pound beam to the place where they would be crucified. Jesus was so beaten, bruised, exhausted that he couldn't carry his own cross so they had somebody else carry it for him so then verse 24 they then crucified him that means hung him on a cross nails in his wrists and in his ankles hanging there suffocating as he hung from the cross They divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was written, the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him amongst themselves, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. So now we have Jesus being beaten, ridiculed. Couldn't even carry his own cross. He was that exhausted and, and mutilated. Now we have people mocking him, making fun of him. And even the soldiers next to him, or the, the criminals next to him, joining in, mocking him. Everybody was against him. He was alone. How much worse could it get? Like, the, As far as humanity is concerned, he was at the bottom of a valley, as low as you can get, alone, left for dead on a cross, suffocating, couldn't even breathe, the pain, the rejection, the agony, but then it, in fact, does get worse. Verse 33, we read, when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of those standing there heard this. They said, see, he is calling for Elijah. Some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him to drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down. 
the first time in all of existence, which is eternity, for all of eternity, for the first time, Jesus experienced separation from the Father. You see, we read in Psalm 5-4 that for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. God is perfect. He is holy and cannot be in the presence of evil. In that moment when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was taking our sins upon himself. He was now full of every impurity we've ever committed. In all of history, it came down upon him in that moment. He was, at that time, what Israel did every year in offering a sacrificial lamb. Jesus was now the sacrificial lamb. He took our sins upon himself. And Jesus could no longer be in the presence of the Father. The, the Father had to look away. He had to separate himself. Jesus was truly alone. Far from anything good. Surrounded by evil. He was forsaken. And in that moment, Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Right? We read in other passages in the other Gospels, he would say, it is finished. And he breathed his last. He totally completed his mission to fulfill scriptures, to be our Savior, to give His life so that we could find our life. In that moment, when Jesus took that sin upon Himself, He freed us from the penalty of our sin. And in that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The Father initiated it. He tore it from the top to the bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. God tore the temple curtain to signify that every person have access to the Father through Jesus. He took our sin. He took it. And not only did he take it upon himself, but when he rose from the grave, he conquered death. The penalty for our sin. Jesus gave us access to the Father. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. We have an inheritance if we so choose to receive the gift of salvation and make Jesus our Savior 
and our Lord, our King, our Master, our Pilot. We have an inheritance. And for the remainder of our time today, I want to look at what this inheritance is through Romans 8. And though we won't read all of Romans 8 today because it's a rather lengthy passage, almost 40 verses, I want to highlight a few of the things that Paul gives us as a promise of our inheritance, what Jesus did on the cross, taking our pain, taking our suffering, taking everything that we deserved and became sin for us. He took the penalties. Now here is our inheritance. So often we look at the tragedy of the cross and we say, God died for us. But we never look at the promises for us. And I want to highlight right away that there is something that is underneath all of this that I want to remind you of. See, we focus on the eternal, but so often we forget about the here and now. God hasn't just died for us to have victory in heaven, to be with him forever. He died so that we could have victory today. We have an inheritance here on earth today. Though, as we will find out in just a moment, we still live in a broken world, full of evil, full of things that will tear us down. We have a promise of an inheritance for today. So let's look. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4 to begin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, right? We don't have to worry about angering the Father. We have forgiveness. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We don't live under that anymore. What law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God gave us freedom from the penalty of our sin. Then down to verse 16, a very popular verse that I love to go to all the time. The Spirit, right? What did Jesus give us when he went to be with the Father? He gave us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We are children of God. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We are an equal level with him. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. It's powerful. You are co-heirs with Christ. Here. Then to verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good of those who love God and are called 
according to his purpose. Oh, there's a lot there. Right? God helps us in our weakness. He intercedes or intervenes for us. He goes between us and the Father, and he prays for us. He, he asks the Father to help us, to bring us favor, to bring us power, to bring us wisdom through the Spirit. Right? And then lastly, he works things out for our good. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Lastly, this is so powerful. I love verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring us an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can afflictions or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You are more than conquerors. You are victorious, and nothing can separate you from God. The only thing that can is you yourself if you push your way him nothing can separate you god is here for you he fights for you he's in your presence because jesus paid the penalty and went through everything that we just read about on the cross you have a promise that god is with you he fights for you he empowers you and he intercedes for you he works even the evil out for good doesn't take it away right and i think that's that's what scares us as we kind of wrap this up today what scares us is we look at a piece of scripture like this and, and we're like i don't see those promises i experience pain i experience sorrow god isn't working things out for good my prayer for you today is that you would look to jesus and you would ask him, God, help me to see the way you see, to perceive what you perceive, to understand your ways. Because sometimes our view of what is good or right is skewed. Skewed by the enemy, skewed by what the world is trying to tell us, what our minds are trying to, to play in, with us and what is reality. God works things out for good. And when we catch a hold of what he's doing, our perspectives change. Because the reality is, is we live in a fallen world, and that's, that's what is underlying all of this, right? Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians who are being tortured. 
they're experiencing things that Jesus himself experienced, being put on a cross and burned to death, put upside down on a cross. Like they were burned alive, tortured for Christ, for being a follower. Paul's saying, God works out all things for good. You are more than a conqueror. Don't give up. But underneath it all, it says, you will be persecuted. Listen, Jesus himself told his apostles, his disciples, the ones who were living at this time, he, he said to them, if the world hates you, understand. This is from John 15, verses 18 through 20. That they hated me before they hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is a promise that Jesus gives to us, his followers. They will persecute you. And today, maybe that's exactly what you're feeling. You're feeling beat up, exhausted. Maybe you even feel guilty or kind of like you're a failure because you haven't experienced a whole lot in your life but you feel depressed or anxious or angry maybe you just feel like a complete loser or something even worse and want to take your life you see you will have difficulty in this world if you're a follower of jesus the enemy hates you the enemy had jesus put up on the cross thinking that he was now victorious because he killed the savior of the world but what he didn't realize is that god works all things out for good that this was his plan to save the world through his own son the enemy sorely lost and you will lose in your life as well if you don't give up. If you remember what Paul wrote to the persecuted Christians in the early church, that you are more than conquerors, that God will not leave you no matter what depth of anger or, or bitterness or rejection or whatever you may face in this world, no matter what you go through, God is with you and you cannot be separated from his presence. So my prayer for you today is that you will remember that. You won't let go of that promise. And that God will, through his Holy Spirit, turn your perspective back to the reality that God is with you. And he is fighting for you and he's working things out for the good of those who are called followers. Don't quit. Don't give Will you slow down? Will you get rid of all the stuff that's lying to you? Step away from it. Give yourself some time to be reminded of this truth. Friends, you have a God who loves you, who says, you're my child. I give you everything that is my son's. I give to you. I'm interceding for you. I'm, I, I'm empowering you, but you have to receive it. You have to come towards me. So step towards Jesus today. Tell him what you feel.
Be real. Be honest. And then ask him, will you help me to see what is available to me because I am your child. You're mine, Lord. You're mine. Father, I pray for every person listening today. I pray for you, Christian, son of God, daughter of God. I pray that wherever you are, you will be reminded of this truth. Your God, Jesus, sees you and loves you. No matter what you're going through, how painful you're experiencing right now, God's love is there for you. He is with you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. He's working things out for your good. God, change their perspective today so that they can see the truth of your scripture and remember that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. And I pray and continue to pray that God will work in your heart and remind you of all these truths. If you want to get a hold of us, go to nexuschurchnn.com. You can click on ways to connect with us. You can send us an email at nexuschurchnn at gmail.com. You can look us up at nexuschurchtrf on Facebook or any of the other social medias, and we would love to find a way that we can connect with you and help you connect with Jesus. We'll see you again real soon.